welcome everyone to our review of The Witcher Season 1. We're going to be reviewing Season 1, because that's all we have right now. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and YouTube. This review will contain spoiler content. So, if you do not want anything spoiled, this is your friendly reminder to abort the mission. So, please, go see the series, then come on back, and come listen to our review, and uh, listen to our thoughts and compare it with your own. Uh, but without further ado, John, how's it going? Man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to talk about this. I thought it was a pretty great show. Um, I definitely wasn't the Game of Thrones successor that I think everyone thought it was going to be. But I mean, it was fun in its own right. Uh, that's true, but it was the Game of Thrones bounce back. I think it was good enough for an itch that uh, we all needed scratched. Uh, yeah, for sure. it was good. Good, solid fantasy show. Yes, very much so. So we're going to talk about um, some of the logistics and facts about the show, and then we'll go into our opinions on the review. We're first going to start off with the creators and showrunners. Uh, the showrunner for this uh, series is going to be La- was Lauren Schmidt. Uh, she has producing credits on the Daredevil series, The Defenders, and The Umbrella Academy, just to name a few. So already has some experience with a series that would be on something like Netflix. Uh, the directors uh, include Alec uh, Sekarov. He directed episodes one and two and had co-directing in episode seven. Alex Garcia Lopez uh, directed episode three and four. Charlotte Brandstrom directed episode five and six. And Mark Jobst co-directed episode seven and directed episode eight. Uh, apart from directors and showrunners, we have the cast. And we have uh, Anya Chaletra, who played Jennifer, Henry Cavill, who played Gerald or Geralt, and Freya Allen, who played Siri or Cirilla, Princess Cirilla. Uh, and they all co starred in the series together. And most of this cast was actually made up of uh, TV series actors, not a lot of big Hollywood people except for Henry Cavill. The series is based on The Witcher books, eight books in total, written by Andres Sepkowski. Uh, and this is only on Netflix with a total of eight episodes, and each one is an hour long. And the series has been confirmed for a second season with a release into 2021. So those are just some of the facts that uh, are about the series. Uh, I do know it released in, I think it was November or November, December, and the memes were fantastic with toss a coin to your wister and jazz gear, all that great stuff. It was very enjoyable and it kind of pushed me over the edge to go see this series. So that is why I wanted to do a review and John, you started watching this before me. Isn't that right? Yeah, no, I, I kind of got into it a l- couple weeks after it came out. And I had a bunch of people from work kind of pressuring me into watching it. So it took me about a week to get through it. And uh, it, yeah, I mean, I'll get into more of it later. But it was uh, like, so I I finished it because I feel like it was going to be a big part of the conversation in uh, like in around the workplace with my friends. But initially it wasn't as, it didn't really grab my attention as much as say like Game of Thrones or uh the umbrella academy or any other major show like that did um but it was 
like like I said, like it was fun. It wasn't necessarily the masterpiece that I think a lot of people were expecting, mm-hmm. especially given the the precedent we've had with these types of fantasy shows before and with Henry Cavill being the lead on it. But I I think they've set themselves up pretty well for season two, and I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see kind of where they take it from here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely agree. It's kind of one of the things like, I need to watch it. And unlike you, you finished it in a week where I finished it in a day. I did an eight-hour binge watch of it. And um, it was uh, I, I felt like it was much better in a binge watch as far as being able to consume it and just go on with your brain off. I do admit, though, uh, had I done this, like, oh, I'll watch an episode every night, I would have lost interest almost immediately. So um, I think definitely as far as between us and how we watched, you went through the tougher, uh, you went through the tougher situation than i did i went the long way around yeah you went the long way around which is i don't believe is the best way to watch this i think you binge it if it takes you twice to watch it or you watch for four hours watch the next four hours go ahead and do that but man i cannot imagine like watching an episode a night i just think like that's just not the way to consume it and you're just gonna forget stuff as you go on with the series but uh let me give you my opinions on this series uh, with uh, the first season, I really enjoyed watching this. The production for me was nicely put together, scaled properly, and the pace of the story was well enough for me to acclimate to the world building that was going on, and I think it was good for the audience. The timeline, uh, John, was the weakest part of the show for me, and they even shy away from key exposition pieces, which I had to look up some stuff uh admittedly uh but uh as a binge watch i think it was perfect as i said before what you did i think is a lot harder yeah and i i do think that if this had been like a typical kind of tv show that came out weekly over the course of two months i feel like they would have lost a lot of interest and a lot of viewers uh and because it's such a new world for so many people that has so much exposition and characters and things to learn about that I I think that they didn't have the momentum initially to keep the kind of viewership. Like if, unless they had a lot of viewers that did what you did, just completely binge it all in a day or two, knock it out while it's still fresh in your mind. Yeah. And I think uh, Mandalorian, the Mandalorian kind of reminds me of this series a little bit and where it's like, um i tried binge watching the mandalorian and already the episodes felt a little bit better than waiting week to week so maybe that's the way things are just going now some shows just maybe a majority of shows now just need to be binged unless it's something like friends or seinfeld can't do that (laughs) take like three weeks just to binge it yeah and as far as the cast, I'm going to get to Henry Cavill, which I believe is the best part of this series by far. His passion for the project is very well known, and it's easily felt through his performance. And he was able to mold uh, Geralt's mundane and loader attitude into something actually quite endearing. I don't think there's any point in this series uh, or in this season that I actually hate Geralt. I, I love him through the whole thing. And I don't know, and that's a good question for you, John, is, you know, do you think that's because it's we know it's Henry Cavill, or do we think it's because of his performance? I think it had to do more with his performance. I mean, 
Geralt comes across as, like you said, like this loner. He's uh, lived the solitary life. You know that he's been persecuted because of who he is without any real say in, in the direction of his own life. So right off the bat, he's got that relatability and that um, almost that he get like draws out that empathy from, I think, the viewers because you you know that he he never chose this life, but he's making the best of it. And he's what he's doing is he's just trying to make the world a better place in his own way. Um, so there's that relatability in that regard. And I think Henry Cavill already... I think because of his passion for the role and the amount of research that he did and the like the depth to which he went into this part, I think really came through and was really endearing for a lot of the viewers and made it, I mean, honestly, just made it enjoyable because, you know, he was having fun with it. He really wanted to be there. And I think that really comes through and, and makes it a much more enjoyable uh, watch, I think, overall. Yeah, he it, it definitely Definitely sort of the project. He uh, found out about the series through the uh, video games because he is an avid gamer. Which is crazy. I mean, you wouldn't, you, you would, let's be stereotypical here. You wouldn't think that by looking at him. But I think that's, that's pretty cool that he's so involved in that already. And he, he already knew he, about the game. Yeah. And the story is, is that he, uh, he was playing, he was playing, wow, he was playing World of Warcraft when um Zack Snyder was trying to get a hold of him to tell him that he was uh gonna play uh Superman. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I know, that's such a, I love that story. But uh going forward, uh with some of my thoughts more thoughts on the season, uh writing, uh the screenplay to me felt uh satisfying. You know, the 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 dialogue that everyone in the series is given felt, you know, natural except for ones and it's i think it's the only super major critique and that's yennefer uh yennefer swears a lot and she swears in a way that's more uh bitchy than witty and doing some research between yennefer because i don't remember in the games her being this kind of annoying and i don't blame it on uh the actress i don't blame it on anya chalotra i don't blame it on her at all uh, because Yennefer is supposed to be a strong character with ambitious and she's kind of callous. And there's a lot of times we get that from the actress. She's putting it all, even her scenes when she's got the hunchback, you, I like, I believed that she was a hunchback and then she transformed. Like at no point in the role do I think that she's like, they're not the same person, you know, yeah. it, which is kind of a weird thought, but it, it just the way it was given. So I, I don't believe I don't believe it's the actress's fault. Even the character, the stuff that's written for her, she delivered some of the best quotes in the show. Um, but overall, the command of Yennefer uh, needs to be overwhelming and not annoying. And that's where I think kind of falls short for me as far as the writing. It's just her character specifically, even though I think the acting was a good job. And then the law of surprise. My, my thoughts on the law of surprise, I didn't understand this, and I had to look it up on Google. Now... Researching the Lost Surprise took away from me binging on the series, not because it took away my time, but because it felt too important to gloss over so poorly. You know, the way that he says, oh, just the Lost Surprise, jokingly, the girl throws up. I'm like, what does it mean? And I'm yeah. no, and it's not because like, oh, she's pregnant. She threw up, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, this is a world where there are dragons and, you know, weird creatures and people are using, uh, you know, people are 
becoming Dopplers and changing their appearances and stuff like that. Maybe she threw up because of the words he used. I don't know. It doesn't have to mean she's pregnant. So I had no idea what the law of surprises and I had to look it up. But uh, besides that, I thought it was actually a very interesting dynamic brought into the show that I was not expecting. So I did enjoy it. I just wish the show thought that they could explain it in like maybe five minutes, maybe less than that. Yeah, and so kind of get into what I thought about the show in in regards to that. I mean, typically with a with a fantasy world like this, that's so foreign to to the viewers, there's some kind of surrogate for the audience where they're they basically are new to the world as well, and it allows exposition and things to be learned in a very authentic and natural way, so the audience can come along with them and the world can develop around these characters. Uh, together but with this there was no real audience surrogate i mean even with with Geralt, he's like everybody is fully i think involved in who they are and there's not really a moment where anybody's asking questions about why certain things are happening or what the law of surprise is or anything like that it's just assumed everybody knows exactly what's going on which then the audience feels two steps behind trying to catch up to where the show is which I mean, I think for like a second or third season, that's one thing. But if you're on a the initial season of a show, it's hard to get the buy-in from the viewers when they feel like they're two steps behind everyone else. Yeah, I agree with that. At least get at least get yes, uh, Jazz Gear to sing a song about it. Exactly. That would have been a gr- that that's a great point. That would have been great to have, and that's the whole point of of. The, the bards is to tell stories and um, give, exp- I mean, basically to give exposition in a, in a real and authentic way. And you're right. They, it would have been great for them to use him in that way, even just like singing a song about the law of surprise and how it uh, occurred in, in a, like years ago in a certain situation. Um, that would have been great. Um, yeah. I, I think that the, the timeline differences were, where it was broken up, broken up in those three different segments i think on paper it was really interesting and i think looking back on it it made for an interesting storytelling technique but in the moment it just felt confusing and again it's harder to buy in as a viewer when you feel like you don't fully understand what's happening and when um when they skip around like that you feel lost and i mean i look man like i feel like i'm a reasonably intelligent person (laughs) and i i had a hard time grasping what was going on until about halfway through the season when they made it very clear this is in the past Geralt's halfway through and siri isn't is the farthest away um linearly yeah i agree with you on that i agree with you that this is a bad choice yeah and i mean like it just felt muddled and again like if it was in a world where we were familiar with it that would be one thing um and that might it would be a way to um catch the audience off guard um with something that they were already familiar with to keep the story interesting but when you're doing exposition in three different timelines but not telling anyone that you're in three different timelines then it makes people do a double take and look back on where they were and it questions everything that you've learned so far um so I think it would be interesting to go back and rewatch it, knowing where everything was happening and seeing how it all played out at the end. And I think by episode seven and eight, where they were really almost starting to come together um, and you've you got that better picture of what happened in series timeline, which led up to that moment and 
uh, who Yennefer was and what made her this type of character and who Geralt is and what's happened with his life. I think when you finally reach that end point, then it becomes really interesting and enthralling to watch. And it, then you want more, but then by the end of it, it just stops and there's no more show. So now we have to wait another probably year, year and a half for season two to come out right when it started getting good. Um, or the the best I think it was that season. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when you talk about getting lost, I think uh, um, you said towards episode seven, episode eight, which is when it clicked for me was after was in the beginning of episode seven at the end of episode six, when after seeing the dragon, uh, Geralt is watching the Nilfgaard army march towards Sintra. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. when it hit me. And um, but I really did like how they weaved. I liked how they weaved the plots to have the plot focus on three different people and yes. their stories. I just wish the timelines matched up better. I agree with you. And and you're right. Like when those moments click it's a great storytelling technique and it, it's interesting to watch and to see everything come together. It like, I, like I said, it's just, if it was something more familiar, I think it would be better. And I think, I think where they, where they lacked in exposition and storytelling game of Thrones really excelled. And that's what, just what people naturally compare it to. Um, but you had somebody like Jon Snow who was thrust into a new situation at, at the, the wall and it allowed him to learn more about the world in an authentic way from the people around him. And people would travel to different places and allow them to learn new things. So the audience would learn as you went. And there wasn't really any of that in this series. Um, but I really enjoyed the practicality of the show. Um, there wasn't a lot of CG. And I've, I think it was warranted where it was. Um, but they did a great job of scouting locations. The shot, like the... The series was shot beautifully, um, and I, I don't think anybody can deny that. I, I think they did a great job building the world practically, and it felt very immersive overall, um, which made it that much more enjoyable. And I think it allowed me to kind of forgive some of the um, the storytelling techniques that they were falling a little short on initially, just because it was so interesting to watch and to learn more about this world, um, which does make me a lot more excited about season two. Yes, but but the one part that I, I I think you and I both agree on that was the weakest, uh, as far as the series goes, was probably that dragon episode. Yeah, with the, the quest for the dragon. I just like the moment that you see the dragon. It looks like Dragonheart with Sean Connery from back in the nineties. The CG is horrible for what they had been doing up until that point. And then when it starts speaking tel- telepathically, like, I I just, it took me out of it. I, I couldn't help but laugh at it, honestly. It just, it didn't feel real. And like, I get, we're talking about a dragon not feeling real. I get that. But at a certain point, like, you have to just make a decision of, am I going to make this as practical as I can? Or am I going to make it interesting and authentic to the world around me? And it just felt like it was taking me out of that moment. And it really didn't click like the momentum didn't build back up for me again until the next episode. No, um, I agree with you there. Cause even the egg that they had looked fake. And I would, I think I stared at the, the egg more than the green dragon behind it. Like super confused. Like the hell am I looking at? Yeah. I, man, that, 
they better learn from from their mistakes on that episode and not do something like that again. And I mean, and to be honest, like it was it was a bit predictable, at least for me. Um, and when they were, you and I had already been talking about this, but when they were in that um, that in tavern, tavern initially, and they were talking about the different types of dragons, and Geralt was saying which one was common and which one was rare or not extinct, basically. And they got to the golden dragon, and Geralt said, "Those are a myth; those aren't real." And the guy said, "Oh no, they're just really, really rare." And I'm like, "That's a wink at the audience. You're a golden dragon. This is magic." And like his vest was all like dragon hide looking like it was it was kind of staring you right in the face until you get to that point where he becomes a dragon and like he let go and those two girls with him let go when they were falling into the, into the ravine. So like, you know that he knows something that everyone else doesn't. And it's oh, man, I just I could go on for a while about about that episode. It was just not a good representation of the rest of the show. You bring you do bring a, a good point because I was always watching that episode. This is why it's good to binge it, because had I had a whole night's sleep to think about it before episode seven, um, I would have been thinking like, why did those, like, why would they let go of the rope, those warriors who are with this man? Why yeah. why did they why did they let go too? Like, do they not care about their life? They knew something, and obviously he's a dragon. They fall, he's gonna fly them up to the top but yeah at like it's it's just one of those things that it takes you out of it where you have to think about it for a second which is why i said i had the benefit of being able to binge it and just keep going i it was kind of reminding me of star wars the rise of skywalker that like when you're in the moment it seems fun but then the longer you get out of the situation you can think about it and pick it apart and it becomes a little less flashy and exciting uh, than when you were in the moment watching it in theaters. That's a good point. We've already had that talk. We we've already we've extensively had that talk on and off the air. So uh, we won't bore the audience with that. Uh, but I do actually have one question for you before we wrap this up, and that's um, and I'll give some backstory to. So they mentioned Vesemir. Have you read up on about Vesemir yet? I haven't, but I've heard the rumor about who they want to get like to play him. Yes. So. Uh, so Vesemir is supposed to be like his mentor in being a witcher. Okay. And if a lot of people who played the games, the witcher games, which came before the series, but before the witch games came the book, uh, the point is that, uh, Vesemir is very important, um, fatherish figure. Uh, and even though I didn't finish the games, I actually played maybe the first hour or two of the game. Uh, and I got to know Vesemir a little bit better, uh, I kind of have an idea or feel for how he should be. And I can do more research on it. But are you... Do you think it would be cool if Mark Hamill was Vesemir? Only in the area of nostalgia. And I think it would be more for the audience than for the story. Because if, if Mark Hamill was younger, I think it'd be one thing. But he's at the point in his life where he like practically can't be doing all of the sword work and the stunts that that kind of role would require. Um, I think that they could get someone better for it. And I think that if he hadn't been playing, okay. So if, if Mark Hamill had not played Luke Skywalker throughout his career and he was just a good actor on his own, right. Um, I don't think that they would be considering him for the role. I think it's because people connect him with Luke Skywalker and they want the audience to make that connection. 
but I don't think that that justifies the casting when it, you're potentially sacrificing a better person, which could lead to better storytelling. Ooh. Uh-oh. That wasn't the answer I wanted. But Uh-oh. We, we differ in opinion because I actually... I want Mark Hamill in this role. And it's okay. not because of Star Wars. I mean, I love him in Star Wars, and it's going to hit people's nostalgia, but I, we've seen him as the Joker. We've seen him as Luke Skywalker. I want to see him in this role because a grumpy old man with a little bit of making fun of the young whippersnapper and stuff like that i want that and i I think mark hamill despite like you said his age he's uh 69 years old i think or he's going to be 69 this year he's in his late 60s it's one of those ideas that I, i i really sit on that you know this for his career would be round out and he has obviously played with you know done lightsabers and stuff like that it'd be cool to see him with the sword i just want to see i want to see it be done i want to see them transform mark hamill and uh i guess the question is who do you think would be a better suit but i'm i'm all in on mark hamill see i my vote would be for mads mickelson you know his brother's on the series yeah that's that's i think why a lot of people want him to be on it but i mean i think you see the type of role that he did with Doctor Strange, and uh, and then you also see what he did with Rogue One, and he's got that um, uh, kind of like relatability with what he did on Rogue One, and you, it, the empathy that you felt for him as a character um, trying to sneak out the plans and take care of his family, while also being a villain and um, kind of taking more of that sinister toll. I think he's got the great range for it. I think he's got a good age. He physically can still do a bit more, I think, than Mark Hamill. Um, because I think that, I mean, don't the Witchers age slower? Yeah, they do. They age slower than everyone else. So he's older than Henry Cavill. I think someone like Mads Mikkelsen would probably make a better fit, in my opinion, at least. Oh, John. Yes? You're right. Mads, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, Mads Mikkelsen is the perfect person for this role. Like, oh my gosh. He just, now that I'm thinking of it, he oozes Vesemir. Did I just win an argument? You did. Ah, oh, oh, that Man. makes me happy, Chris. I really, I, and I like Mads Mikkelsen too. There's nothing wrong with him, but yeah, you, you found the perfect casting. Mads Mikkelsen, which I am annoyed that his brother is a is a prick is annoying i hate his character so much his brother in the show as that mage i hate that guy so much oh but have you ever have you seen the um the benedict cumberbatch uh sherlock no i have not oh he plays a villain on that and you hate him as a villain which i think just is a reflection of his acting and that he he he's just like the the guy that played joffrey and that he's such a despicable character Ugh. but he does it so Ugh. perfectly and it's so different from who he is as a person that you just you he he gets the right emotion out of the audience member i think um that whole family is just such a ah uh, so just good guess such great actors and just him playing that that mage just you know not, he's doing a great job like him and his actor i'm sure him as an actor is fantastic but the character he's playing I, I hate him so much yeah that is our 
review of The Witcher Season 1. So, do you have anything else to wrap up with us, John? Uh, no, other than the Toss a Coin to Your Witcher was probably the most catchy song of 2019. Um, and I can't wait to see how they top that with the remix in Season 2. But thank you for listening to our review. Uh, tune in every week to listen to the Summit Up podcast, uh, where we talk about the weekly uh, movie news, TV show stuff, things going on in the media space. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>